Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope the new year is going well for everyone so far. I'm betting some of you made some very important decisions last week. New Year's resolutions. You decided what changes you were going to make in the new year. Oh, yeah, giving up the smokes. Giving up the sweets. Going to start working out. Eating right. Getting healthy. Going to be some changes being made this year. They're going to stick. Right? And while 44% of Americans make these promises to themselves with the best intentions, 81% will fail before the month of January is over. And people with more degrees than Fahrenheit tell us one of the reasons this happens is because people fail to see results quick enough because we want instant results. And this rarely happens with New Year's resolutions because changes of this magnitude, they usually take time because you lose weight gradually. You get your finances in order gradually. You learn a new hobby gradually. Not everything can be rushed. A guy sitting at home, he hears a knock on the door. He opens the door. He sees a snail on the porch. So he bends down. He picks up the snail and he throws it out in the yard. Three years later, there's a knock on the door. He opens it and he sees the same snail. And the snail says, what in the heck was that all about? Some of you may have to think about that one. My point is, like the punchline, some things take time. You know, if we made changes and we gained immediate results, we'd stick with it. I mean, it's easier to stick with something when the results are instantaneous. But most Resolutions, they just don't work this way because they take time and they take work. And that's because they're based on what you want. They're based on what you can do. So what I want to talk about today is a resolution that we can all make that's not based on what we want. It's based on what God wants. It's not based on what we can do, but what God can do. And listen to this. Not only is it about what God can do, it's about what God wants to do. And I know a lot of you may struggle with this, but God has this grand plan for your life. And I'm not trying to be Mr. Prosperity, but if it's a plan that if followed is filled with happiness. It's filled with success. It's filled with fulfillment. It's filled with contentment. But the problem is we don't always follow God's plan. We tend to miss it. We often struggle with it, and that's because we fail to put ourselves in a position to hear it, to see it, and then to do it. Well, this teaching is titled A New You Resolution. And I'm excited to talk about three habits today that if you commit to, get rid of the other New Year's resolutions. 81% are going to fail anyways. Just commit to doing these three things and just watch what God has in store for 2024. So I want to begin by giving you our big idea for the day. It's a three-parter, so I mean, it is truly a big idea. And it's this. Prayer brings forth God's plan. Scripture reveals God's plan. Obedience sets into motion God's plan. I'm going to read it again. Prayer brings forth God's plan. Scripture reveals God's plan. 
Obedience sets into motion God's plan. Everything we're going to talk about today is derived from this big idea. Our new you resolution consists of three spiritual habits just pulled from this idea. So three habits for a new you in a new year. And the first thing to start doing, number one, pray privately. Pray privately. Now listen, all prayer is good. Don't get me wrong. It's good when we pray together as a church. It's good when we pray as a group, for a group, with a group. It's good when we pray with another person. It's good to pray as you're driving, as long as your eyes are open, of course. It's good to pray before a meal. All prayer is good. Colossians 4 verse 2 says, never stop praying. But there is something special. There is something powerful that happens when we pray in private. That's why Jesus instructs us in Matthew 6 verse 6. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see, this kind of prayer is different. There's a connection that takes place in these moments. There are things revealed in these moments. You don't get this anywhere else. That's the reward. This is known as praying in the Spirit. It's when our spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, it meets the presence of God. There's a connection. It's like puzzle pieces that are fitting perfectly together. It's like a power source that's been plugged in. You get overcome by the Spirit. It's similar to when one gets lost in worship. And it's here in these private moments that we become aware of God's plan. That's the first part of the big idea. Prayer brings forth God's plan. This is when it happens. This is where it happens. Now let me show you how it happens. For this, we're going to go to the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation is the last book of the Bible, and it's a vision that's given to the Apostle John, who at this time is around 90 years old. He's the last remaining disciple. All the other 12 followers we read about in the Gospels, they've all been martyred. They've all been killed for their belief in Christ. Matthew's dead. Peter's dead. Even Paul's dead. Now, Paul wasn't one of the original 12, but he did did more to spread the gospel, I think, than anyone. And he's been beheaded. So it's just John left. And he's, he's been punished too. He's been exiled. He's been banished. He's been sent away to the island of Patmos, which today is a part of Greece near the west coast of Turkey. It's a little small, windswept, rocky island. And it's here on this island that John receives these visions. It's here that God like pulls back the curtain of heaven and he gives this aging apostle an opportunity to look into the very throne room of God. In turn, showing us how this private time of prayer works and why it's so impactful. So I'm going to begin with Revelation chapter 1 verse 10. John writes, And on the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, 
And I heard a loud voice behind me that sounded like a trumpet. So the Lord's day is a term used to describe the first day of the week. So named because Jesus rose from the grave on that day. John was there. He knows this. Some six decades earlier, he witnessed it. That's why we go to church on Sundays. It's the Lord's day. So it says John was in the spirit. He was alone. He was in prayer. He was in that moment where the spirit and the presence of God collide. And it's in this setting that he hears a loud voice. It says a voice that sounded like a trumpet. Hmm. Welcome to the book of Revelation. Where our imaginations are stretched. A voice that sounded like a trumpet. And this is just the first of so many sounds that he hears. I mean, all through Revelation, he talks about sounds. He talks about voices. He talks about songs. Choirs of angels singing out, holy, 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 nonstop, day and night. The sound of elders who are singing in worship. You are worthy, our Lord and our God. The sound of martyrs crying out, how long, O Lord? So we get this impression that the throne room of heaven that John's getting this vision of, it's like full of sounds. There's glorious sounds. There's thunderous sounds. Sound after sound. And then in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, John says, Then there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Silence? But there's been... There's been all this noise. There's been all these sounds. Now there's a sudden stillness. As if the, a director of an orchestra stood up, like picked up his baton and lifted it up. Silence. Why? Let's skip ahead to verse 3. Says another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar before the throne. Verse four, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. So we were just told. All the noise, all the sounds and songs. But there is a moment in heaven in which every song ceases. There's a moment in heaven in which every sound stops. There is a time in heaven in which God lifts his hand. He says, everyone be quiet. Shh. I hear something. What did he hear? The prayers of his people. See, when you pray, the angels are told to be still. Put the trumpet away for a minute. Elders, be quiet for a second. I want to hear this. I need to hear this. Listen, we get so hung up on the judgments and the end time prophecies of the book of Revelation. It's easy to miss that John was just shown the sequence of events of how prayer works. 
that when we pray, our prayers like start here and then they filter up, carried by angels into the presence of God and God listens. Your prayers trump every sound in heaven. How powerful is that? God listens. God hears our prayers. And then in verse 5. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it onto the earth. And there came pails of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now I know this sounds confusing. Let's keep it simple here. You pray... God listens, God responds. Don't overthink it. Prayer brings forth God's plan. God's plan for the Israelites in the desert consisted of being led by smoke and fire. You see, God responds to prayer in ways that often grab our attention. Things that we hear, thunder, loud rumblings, loud noises, things that we see, flashes of lightning. We often pray for God to move obstacles in our lives. Earthquakes change landscapes. God moves mountains and prayer moves God. I'm telling you, you need a mountain moved in your life, you pray privately. You need a Red Sea parted, you pray privately. You want a new you in a new year, you pray privately. You pray in the Spirit. Prayer brings forth God's plan. Second thing to start doing for a new you resolution. Number two is read fervently. You read fervently. And by fervently, I mean enthusiastically. By fervently, I mean passionately. Does that describe the way you read the Bible? Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Like a newborn infant that's craving mother's milk, nothing else will chat, satisfy that child except that milk. And Peter is saying we should crave the word of God like this. Peter's saying there's nothing else that can satisfy us like this. It says long for it. If you found that the Lord is good, if you've tasted it. Now to make sense of all that, you need to kind of know that in the days before Jesus, when Jewish children would begin their schooling, think of like kindergarten now, their curriculum would consist of what's called the Pentateuch which is just the first five books of the Old Testament. It's the five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the first five books if you start at the beginning of the Bible. And on the first day of school, they would sat these children down and they would put this scripture in front of them. And then they would take honey. Now honey was the greatest delicacy of the time. They would take honey and they would put honey all around this scripture. And they would say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because they wanted him to know from the get-go how good, how satisfying is the word of God. And a lot of times 
we don't feel this way about Scripture because we fail to dig in and to really taste it. We fail to get alone. Get alone in those moments that we just discussed earlier where you're in the Spirit, where God connects with you in those moments, where God guides you, where God speaks to you. Job 33, verse 33, God says, listen to me, be silent, and I will teach you wisdom. Friends, you don't get that from an inspirational book by Joyce Meyer. You don't get that from a How to Be a Godly Leader book by Craig Grishel. And I'm not saying those books are bad. Heck, if they help you be a better person, read it. If it helps you be a better leader, read it. If it helps you understand the Bible a little better, read it. But don't spend all your time reading books about the Bible. You read the Bible. There's nothing that can replace this. This is the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Man, these are the words of God. The Holy Bible is the only book. Every time you read it, the author meets with you to discuss it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Man, this is where it becomes known where God is calling you to go, what God is calling you to do. The direction of your life is dependent on this. Listen to Joshua 1 verse 8. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Only then will you prosper. Only then will you succeed. I just spoke about that a minute ago. This is how you find happiness. This is how you find contentment. This is how you find fulfillment in your life. Prayer brings forth God's plan. Scripture reveals God's plan. For a new you and a new year, you pray privately and you read fervently. Third thing to start doing. Number three is obey regularly. Obey regularly, meaning you get into the habit that when God calls you to do something, you do it. Listen, you can pray day and night. You can memorize scripture, but if you aren't obedient, you're never going to reach your potential. You're never going to achieve everything that you're capable of doing. You're never going to fulfill what you were created to be. The Bible tells us not to just be hearers of the word. We have to be doers of the word. Luke 11 verse 28, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it, are obedient to it. Even if you don't fully understand what you're being asked, to do. There was a guy who was driving down the road one day. He sees a gorilla standing beside the road. So of course he pulls over and lets the gorilla in the passenger seat and he takes off. Well, further down the road, there was a cop out with his radar out. He was checking people's speed and he sees this, this guy go by and he notices there's a gorilla in the passenger side. 
So he pulls the car over. He goes up to the guy. He says, what are you doing with a gorilla in the car? Guy said, we're just driving around. Cop says, you can't be just driving around with a gorilla in the car. Take it to the zoo. So the next day, the cop's radar, and he sees the car go by again with the gorilla still in the passenger seat. He pulls him over. He runs up to him. He says, what are you doing? I told you, you can't be just driving around with a gorilla in the car. I told you to take it to the zoo. The guy said, I did. Oh, we had a great time. Now we're headed to the ball game. (laughs) Good things happen when you listen and are obedient, even if you struggle to understand. God opens doors, but obedience is you walking Through that doorway. Obedience sets into motion God's plan. Now I want to share with you a story. It's found in the book of Acts. If you're not familiar with Acts, it's the book that comes after the Gospels. The Gospels being Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These books are the start of the New Testament, the accounts of what happened while Jesus was here, eyewitness accounts of Jesus' story. Now, Acts is short for Acts of the Apostles. Let me just clarify something here real quick so there's no confusion. A disciple is a student. An apostle is someone who is sent forth. So the 12 disciples that we read about in the Gospels, they became apostles when Jesus sent them out into the world. And the book of Acts is an account of what happened with them after Jesus ascended into heaven at the end of the Gospels. So Acts picks up where the Gospels left off. Acts is written by Luke, same writer of the Gospel of Luke. And it describes the first 30 years of the church. It tells of the founding of the church. It tells of the spread of the gospel. So I'm going to bring everybody up to date real quick just for this story. So Jesus ascends into heaven and all the apostles now, they're all gathered in Jerusalem and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, they're performing wonders. They're doing miraculous signs. Thousands of people were being added to this Christian movement. And everyone in the community is just being blown away by it. And the religious leaders, they're ticked off. You got to remember, they're the ones who had Jesus crucified. So the religious leaders are saying, we've got to get control of these guys. They're making us look bad. So I'm going to pick the story up in Acts chapter 5 verse 17. I'm going to read it to you first. And then I'm going to come back and break it down. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, which were just religious elite, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. So the first thing that I want to take out of this, that I'm going to pull out of this story, that I want you to know is that obedience triggers opposition. You got to know that. Obedience triggers opposition. Listen to verse 18 again. 
They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. And if you're actually familiar with this story, this is actually the second time that the apostles were put in jail. In chapter 4, they were brought in. They were questioned. Make no mistake about it. These religious leaders were not people to be messed with. They could imprison you. They could beat you. They could kill you. They had all the power. And they commanded, not warned, they commanded Peter and John to no longer speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But they continued to speak. They continued to preach. They continued to heal. They continued to cast out demons. They continued to convert more and more people to Jesus Christ. So again, they were brought in and arrested. Now, I think that maybe there's sometimes a belief that if we're serving God, if we're doing what God wants us to do, that we shouldn't have a whole lot of problems. I think we think this sometimes. But the truth is, when we serve God, we have a spiritual enemy who wants to stop the work of God. When you are obedient to God, it will usually trigger opposition. For those of you that got baptized last month, you're going to face opposition. You stood up. You declared that you're following Jesus Christ, that you're committed to Jesus Christ. The enemy doesn't like that. The enemy doesn't like you. John 10.10 says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. When God calls you to do something, opposition will often follow your obedience. But don't worry when you face opposition. Worry when you don't. If you're not crossing paths with the devil, you're flowing in the same direction. You're not doing anything that's making the enemy nervous. Let me tell you something. You commit to praying privately. You commit to reading fervently. You commit to obeying regularly. That's going to make the enemy nervous. Because he doesn't want you to prosper. He doesn't want you to have the blessing with That comes with following God's plan. Obedience triggers opposition. Here's another thing though that obedience does. It releases miracles. I'm going to read verse 19 again. And I just want you to see how Luke, the author of this, a physician, he describes this miracle. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. It's exactly how it's written. Let me read that again. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. That's one sentence. That's one statement. No adjectives, no exclamation point at the end. It's like it wasn't even that big of a deal. I mean, if I would have been writing this, I'd have been like, okay, sit down. Because you ain't even going to believe What I'm getting ready to tell you, this angel, this huge, shiny angel busted through the bars of the cell like the incredible hawk. But it was nothing like that. Luke doesn't even, Luke doesn't even give us any details about it. It's like it's a normal thing. But when you're walking in obedience to God, you're not surprised by the miracles of God. 
Did you catch that? When you're walking in obedience to God, you are not surprised by the miracles of God. They were expecting it. They were expecting it. When you get in a pattern of obedience, when you're doing things in your life that God is calling you to do, whatever it may be, however hard it may sound, regardless of the opposition you face, you eventually get in a place you are not surprised by the miracles of God. You get used to the fact. You don't take it for granted. You get used to the fact that God does what he says he's going to do. Man, sometimes you get surprised how things work out. You're not even sure how it even happened. There were three elderly gentlemen, Eddie, Jenkins, and Martin. And they were best friends. And all three of them struggled with remembering things. Well, they had an appointment together at the doctor for a memory test. And it's a miracle these guys even remembered their appointment. But anyways, the doctor starts by asking Eddie, he says... Eddie, what's five times five? Eddie replies, 191. Doctor kind of rolls his eyes, says, Jenkins, it's your turn. What's five times five? Wednesday, replies Jenkins. Doctor kind of shakes his head. He asks the third man. He said, okay, Martin. He said, it's your turn. What's five times five? 25, says Martin. Well, that's great, Martin, said the doctor. How'd you get your answer? Easy, says Martin. I subtracted 191 from Wednesday. (laughs) Listen, sometimes things don't even add up, but you get the right answers. When you step out and you start going where God is calling you to go, don't be surprised when you get there. Job 5 verse 9 says he performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. Obedience triggers opposition. Obedience releases miracles. Here's another thing about obedience, though, that I want you to know. It requires faith. Obedience requires faith. Listen to verse 20. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. So in case you're not paying attention, the angel said, go do what has gotten you thrown in jail twice already for doing. It's what the angel's saying. Go preach again. Do the same thing that got you in all this trouble. I want you to do the same thing that got you in this predicament in the first place. Now, I don't know about you, But there's times in my life that I feel God calling me to do something. And this isn't even life or death. And I still want to say, God, can you give me some details here? And God's like, you can't handle the details, tough guy. If you knew the details, you probably wouldn't go where I wanted you to go. God is saying you just need to have enough faith to take The next step. That's all God's calling each of us to do. Psalm 119 verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A lamp doesn't light up the entire path. A lamp lights up one or two steps. You take those steps, it lights up two or three more. God's saying you just need to have the faith to take the very next step 
that I'm showing you. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't have to have it all figured out. We just have to trust that God's got it all figured out. Man, and if you're praying, and if you are turning to Scripture, I'm telling you, doors are going to open. Doors are going to close. Prayer brings forth God's plan. Scripture reveals God's plan. Obedience sets into motion God's plan. So Peter and John are thrown in jail for preaching. An angel breaks them out of jail, tells them to go to the temple and to continue preaching. Verse 21. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. They obeyed. As they had been told. Peter and John were obedient. And they were greatly responsible for how in only three decades, Christianity went from being a small, frightened group of believers into an empire-wide movement of people who had committed their lives to Jesus Christ. And the gospel continues to spread this day all over the entire world. Man, if Peter and John would have quit, if Peter and John would have failed to obey, it wouldn't have screwed up God's plan. It would have screwed up their plan. You and I aren't powerful enough to screw up God's plan. But we can miss out on what God has planned for us. And as a church, man, our mission is to help you go where God's calling you to go. Do what God's calling you to do. Be all that God's calling you to be. And we're so sold on this concept of hearing, seeing, and doing that we've come up with this plan to help you stay focused, to help you with your new you resolution. That not only are we starting a new series next week called Fresh Start, But along with it, beginning January 11th, as Emily said, we're introducing 21 days of prayer, which consists of, you guessed it, prayer. And not only prayer, but scripture. Not only scripture, but an action step for you to take for those 21 days. Now, the action step Emily mentioned is a fast. Now, a fast can be many things. Maybe it's a meal. Maybe you fast lunch. Maybe you can fast breakfast. Uh, A lot of people can't do stuff like that for health reasons. So maybe it's sweets. Maybe God's like really powerful in your life and you give up coffee for 21 days. See, the idea is that you just give up something of importance. You deny yourself something to declare that before God, everything is about him. So sign up on the JAR app. You'll get a daily reminder with a link to this podcast. But here's the bottom line. 
the bottom line I want you to know today, if you want things to be different, you have to do things differently. If you want them to change, you change how you do them. Don't make it about your way. Make it about God's way. Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. New you in a new year. You pray privately, you read fervently, you obey regularly. Let's stand for closing prayer. Let's bow our heads. Lord, dear God, we we just thank you for this morning, being blessed to be able to just gather here today and glorify you in worship. Listen to your word. God, listen to your truth. Thank you for challenging us to pursue the plans that you have for us. You tell us in Jeremiah 29, 11, your plans are to prosper us, not to harm us, plans to give us hope and a future. God, we want to be obedient to whatever you're calling each one of us to do, whatever you're laying upon our hearts. And if there's anyone here today or that's listening on the live stream and they've never made the decision to accept Jesus Christ, And if you're feeling led today, if God is putting it on your heart today, I just invite you right now to share this prayer with me. You can speak it silently to yourself. You can speak it in your heart. We can all say it together out loud as one voice, as we so often do. But if you're ready to commit or recommit your life to Christ today, repeat after me, dear God, I admit that I am a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness for the things I've done. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and was raised to bring me new life. I confess him now as my Lord and Savior. I commit my life to him. I welcome the Holy Spirit into my life to guide me from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.